I'm Jared, and so excited to launch into this Easter morning with you at 8 o'clock. You know, you never really know what's going to show up, and I think you did pretty good. That's what I think. I, I like what showed up here this morning, and what a great day to celebrate the pivotal point in not only Christian history, but in the history of humankind, the apex of what God planned to do. Well, uh, we're talking today about power up and the change that happens in our lives from before and after. And we were thinking about before and after pictures and someone suggested that I do this to myself. So at my expense and hopefully to your pleasure, that's me before. That's, that's the Jared 11 years ago that not very many of you had met. That was our son Jordan's uh, high school graduation. And uh, we were saying, well, what's the after picture going to be? And I guess you get me today in 3D. This is the old guy years and years after that one, before and after. We all have before and after stories, don't we? And most of those stories are far more important than what our physical appearance looks like. We're going to take a look at one of those today. Uh, his name's Peter. In fact, poor guy, his story went viral well before digital technology. In fact, God decided to put his story in Holy Scripture. So it's not only going to last for all of human history, but it's going to last forever in heaven too. Wouldn't that be cool to have your biggest mistakes published forever as a part of God's truth? Look at this guy and learn from him. Are you like me? You like to learn from your mistakes, but you even prefer to learn from others' mistakes? Yeah, that's the Peter story we get to have today about his before and after. But first, let's take a look at our own evergreen Corey and Mindy Hayes story of before and after. Growing up, divorce was no stranger in my life. My mom was married four different times. Corey and I um, got married 13 years ago, and from that day, there was a lot of arguing, there was a lot of fighting. You know, on the outside looking in, it, it really looked like we were a happy, happy family. But inside the walls of our home, it was far from perfect. Um, little did I know that uh, Mindy had been uh, saving some money up for some time to, uh, to move out. I can't get her to save now, but I guess she could then. Uh, so that's, that's pretty transforming. Um, I was praying one night, which I hadn't done probably since we had been married, neither one of us had a relationship with, with the Lord at that time. And I remember crying out to the Lord that night thinking, God, if you are real and you are as big as people say you are, then I need help. I think that following Sunday, I woke up and decided I was gonna go to church. And it was the first time that I had felt the Holy Spirit. Every single Sunday, I felt Jesus right there with me. And he definitely was working in my heart. I started getting a love back for my husband that was gone that only God could do. And it was, it was awesome because it was more powerful than anything I ever experienced. Um, it changed my heart when I heard the gospel message and I was in my truck listening to a preacher and I repented right there on the spot and God gave me, he took my heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh. And that was the changing point for me that I could give grace because I knew what grace was. You know, we were two selfish people looking for our own desires to fulfill our life in things that were outside of God. And um, 
I mean, now I can say that I love my wife more than I did the day I stood on that altar and, and told her, I do. You can't make your heart love somebody. You can't make yourself be happy. You can't force yourself to be happy in a marriage. And it's amazing to me that God can take all that and he can use his power and his might and he can do awesome and mighty things. Yeah, love what Corey said. Now I can give grace because I know what grace is. It's certainly Peter's story as well. You know, one of the most amazing aspects of Peter's life is that he had one of the most horrific failures in human history, and all of us have lived to hear his story. Poor guy. But the great part of his story is that he recovered from that deep personal embarrassment, and he not only survived it, but his experience is what Easter is all about and makes Easter so personal for us. It's a story of friendship, of betrayal, of forgiveness, of reconciliation and restoration. It's a story about a God of second and third chances, a God who gives us power to live an after story. And this talk today has one big idea for people who in some area of your life have a before story and you'd love to have a different after story. And the big idea is this. The most powerful three words in the world are, I have risen. Let's take a look at the before story. Like a prisoner who's been given his last meal before an execution, Jesus had his last dinner with a group of friends, 12, and then it dropped down to 11. And, and during that meal, Jesus took the bread and the wine that was there and gave it whole new meaning. When he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body, and took the wine and shared it and said, this is my blood. And then he said, as often as you eat and drink, I want you to remember me. And then they left and took a walk out of town and into an orchard. And in that orchard, after prayer, Jesus was arrested and there was a bogus trial, kangaroo court. There were lying and conflicting witnesses, but the power brokers wanted blood and they got blood that night. But you remember what happened before his arrest out there in the orchard as Jesus is predicting for his followers what they're going to experience. You'll find it in your Bibles in Mark chapter 14. You'll also have it in the handout that you received and on the screen as well as we take a look at what Jesus said. Notice these verses with me. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Let's pause for just a moment. These 11 guys that were listening to this, they knew where that quote came from. It came from ancient scripture. It was hundreds of years ago that a prophet had written those words and they knew that it was about Messiah who would come, that Jesus claimed to be and fulfill. And that when Messiah came to right the wrongs, he would be like a good shepherd. And at some point in time, momentarily, the good shepherd will be struck down. And as he was removed, sheep would scatter. They understood that. 
but they were appalled to understand that Jesus was saying, and you guys are the sheep that are gonna be scattered. But he said, after that, after I have risen, and in fact, his quote is, but after I have risen. And that word, but, that transitional three-letter word is the apex of human history between the beginning story and the after story. The word but is the transition, the intervention for Peter of his before story and his after story. And it's on that word but that is the before and after story for each of us as well. But, Jesus says, in the face of a before story that is always plagued with weakness and failure, but, he said, after I have risen, everything will be different in the after story. And so we read on to what that looks like. But after I have risen, Jesus says, then I'm going ahead of you to Galilee. Now, Peter declares, hey, even if all fall away, I won't. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you, he says. Don't you admire his courage? Even if you know the rest of the story, it didn't turn out all that well for him, did it? Peter says, hey, Jesus, you can count on me. These other guys, we know, they're kind of flaky. They may scatter, not me. I'm your partner. I've got your back. Jesus, I'll take a bullet for you. And Jesus looked at him, and there must have been compassion and grace and in his voice and maybe even a, a painful smile on his mouth as he said, Peter, no. In fact, among all the guys, you're the guy that's gonna have three strikes and you're out within the next few hours as well. You see, soon after Jesus was arrested and he had his trial and the brokers wanted blood and blood they got. His back was split with a cat of nine tails. His, his scalp was pierced with sharp, long thorns. His shoulders rubbed bloody, carrying the two beams that were rough hone logs that comprised the executioner's cross up on the hill. Spikes were driven through his limbs. They wanted blood that day, and they got blood. And in the face of that, Jesus, who was a big man and a big talker, just didn't have the courage to come through on his claims. He didn't have the power to walk his talk. Mark continues, and I'm going to read. You don't have it in your notes, but just listen, will you? That while Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself by a fire, she looked closely at him. You were with Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went into the entryway. And when the servant girl saw him again, she said to those that were around, hey, this fellow was one of them. And again, he denied it. And after a little while, those standing near said to Peter, 
You are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. And immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered what Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. Peter did what you and I have done when we have betrayed the people that we've loved the most. He broke down and he wept. For most of us, a failure that big, an embarrassment that public would have been the end for us. Peter, the lead representative of Jesus, the, the leader of the band, a washout, a coward, a quitter. Peter, the leader of the team, denying that he had even met Jesus three times. That's why Peter is the very best person to show us what resurrection power looks like. Peter lived the story. Peter has street cred. We can learn from his example that the before Peter needed an intervention. Listen as I read about that intervention. John, one of Peter's associates and another apostle in chapter 20, you don't have these, just listen along, writes about this common experience that they had on resurrection morning. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Peter and the other disciple, John, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and John started for the tomb. I love this. Both of them were running, but John outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there but he didn't go in. And then Peter, who was behind him, and now I'm putting in Jared's explanation, panting and huffing and sweating, ran right past John and stood in the middle of the empty tomb. And there he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up all by itself, separate from the linen. And John, who had reached the team first, also went inside. And he saw and he believed. That is the grand intervention. That's what makes all of the difference. Seeing something that was empty and coming to belief to step into the after picture of a life of before and after. What substantially differentiates Jesus Christ from any other movement founder, religious leader, spiritual prophet, charismatic character, what substantially differentiates Jesus Christ were his audacious claims to be God himself and to be his claim that he would validate his essence of godness by resurrecting from the dead. Every other religious teacher and spiritual leader lived and died and stayed dead. 
It was only Jesus Christ that said to his followers as he was predicting their failure, but something substantial is going to happen, and it's the ultimate intervention from before to after. But when I have risen. So when Peter and John got to an empty tomb and saw burial cloths that would have contained about 100 pounds of spices as an embalming body preparation for burial kind of experience, and they saw that a body had evaporated out of those burial cloths, they saw and they believed. And what did they believe? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God himself, the only one that powered up from the grave and death to live resurrection life. And that is what we celebrate on Resurrection Sundays in what we call in our culture Easter Sunday morning. It was Jesus powering from the grave that they ultimately believed. That's resurrection. Now it was Jesus who had predicted that the disciples would run. And he used the Old Testament prophecy and the metaphor of a shepherd and sheep. And in that prediction, he was the shepherd who would be struck down. And the 11 were the sheep that would run away scared. After the intervention of the resurrection, we find Jesus coming to the after Peter. And we find Jesus extending reconciled and restored relationship with him. And we find Jesus again using the metaphor of a shepherd and sheep. But this time, instead of Peter being a sheep that ran scared, Peter is a shepherd that gathers and cares before and after. Notice in your Bibles, in John chapter 21, or on your notes, beginning with verse 15, these words. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. And he said, Lord, you know all things you know that I love you. Wow. A sheep that ran transformed into a shepherd that gathers and cares. A guy with big talk that lacked courage that denied three times transformed into one who now could truly say, I love you and will love you to the death, which was the later story of his life before and after. Let's make four observations and then three applications together. Notice them in your notes. 
The first is that Jesus said, I love you enough to die for. And he did. And second, Peter said, I won't let you down. But he did. Third, an empty grave demonstrated God's ultimate power. And it still does. And fourth, Peter got it right in the end. I love you. I love you. I love you. And three applications to our life. Can you hear Jesus say, a living, resurrected Lord today first? I love you even when you fail. I am alive to give you the power to live a new life. And can you hear him ask you today, will you say, I love you? Before and after. Would you take a look and a listen as Ray and Anita Campos tell us a little about their before and after story? Growing up, I really didn't know who Jesus was. Um, I felt like I was separated from him. My, pa my parents, well, actually, my father was very strict and didn't allow me to go to church. I come from a big family. Um, two, three of my brothers, they get really got involved in drugs, alcohol, even my stepdad. I couldn't stand him, you know. He used to take us to church. We had to go to church because he forced us to go to church. But I still didn't know much about God. Anyway, then uh, <clears throat> high, junior high, I met Anita, and uh, we started going out. We got married and at a young age. As I was getting older, something was pulling me, saying you need to go to church. When I finally did, I just felt the spirit the moment I walked into the door and I just felt like I needed to repent um, and ever since then I know who he is and I feel like I'm married to Jesus now and not separated from him um, he has just made us a whole different person at, because before uh, like Ray said he was short-tempered I was short-tempered too I didn't have the patience and now I have the compassion He's helped me in many ways to control my anger, to control my my uh, patience with people, and I thank him a lot for that. And I, I I love him more. I I talk to him more, and I pray more, and he's transformed my life. And when Jesus lived, he loved us, and when he died, he saved us. If it wasn't for him, I'd be a different person. But thanks to him. I am different in, in, in a better way. <laughs> well, some of you know that uh, it's been an amazing last couple of weeks for our family. Uh, 10 days ago, my 90 and a half year old mother passed away. And 20 hours before uh, 
what we call, uh, as believers with great hope, her home going or her graduation, uh, the old tent of her body just finally wore out, but her life goes on. About 20 hours before she passed, um, her medical care changed from therapeutic care to pain management, and as a result, she was, for a couple of hours, essentially pain-free and lucid and bright and alert, and the mom that we had known and loved for almost all of her life. And Anne and I and my two sisters got to have a wonderful couple of hours with her. It was the last two hours of conversation that we were able to have. And as we were talking and reminiscing and we were laughing and telling stories, it also gave my mom an opportunity to take care of some last things that were on her checklist. She kept pretty short accounts, so there wasn't much left for final business. A couple of people she wanted us to, to tell that she especially appreciated. And, and then she wanted to make sure that all of her great-grandkids had gotten the Igge Myers Bible story book. She'd already given it to the older grandkids, but our grandchildren hadn't gotten theirs yet, and she wanted to make sure that we would buy the Igemeyer's Bible storybook and that we would inscribe it with the same inscription that she had provided for the other grandkids. In fact, I'd like to read uh, a little bit of that for you. It says, when I was six years old, my Aunt Louise gave me a Bible storybook. It was Igemeyer's Bible storybook. We didn't have a Bible in our house, so it was from this book that I learned Bible stories and learned about Jesus. My mother, who would be your great-great-grandmother, read these stories to me and my brother as bedtime stories. And after many years, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. When your grandparents were babies, Grandpa and I had children come to our home for Sunday school. We didn't know very much about the Bible, so we read stories to them from, you can say it with me now, Igor Mori's, I can't even say it right, Bible story book. Yeah. And because this book was such an important part of our lives, we wanted to share a copy with you. May God bless you and help you to grow into strong, loving believers in him. We are happy that you know Jesus in your hearts and that you are living for him. Lots of love, Grandpa and Grandma Roth. Hmm. Now, one of those little boys who went to that Sunday afternoon uh, Sunday school in my parents' rural home it was about 65 years ago. You understand that the babies that my mom wrote about did not include me. That's my, my older siblings. You understand that, don't you? Yes. One of those uh, little boys, grade school kid, his name was George, George Neval. And, and after he graduated from high school and graduated from college, he joined the Peace Corps, traveled the world, and then came back to the States, became a journalist, and eventually became the editor of the editorial page of the daily newspaper in Wichita, Kansas. And as an adult, one Easter week, George Neval wrote this editorial that was published in that newspaper. I'd like to read a couple of excerpts for you about his childhood. A family moved into our community, and the wife and mother in the family began a little Sunday school, and Easter took on a whole new meaning for us. 
It was the first time that I had heard about Jesus and the story of his birth, life, crucifixion, and resurrection. It was fascinating to me. I tried to imagine how the crown of thorns must have hurt, penetrating his brow and how he must have suffered staggering up Calvary with the cool, cruel cross on his back. I tried to imagine the hill called the place of a skull and the rock cut out tomb where his body was laid. I tried to imagine the surprise of his followers that they must have felt when they came to the tomb that first Easter morning and found no body there. I drank in every detail. I tried to imagine it all. And my classmates were as eager to learn of this strange, lovely man as I was. And Sunday wasn't enough. So during the week, we badgered our public school teacher into reading us Bible stories, an act that would have future Supreme Courts aghast, but wanting, leaving us just wanting more. And soon there was a church that was thriving in our little community, and and families became converts, were popping up everywhere. And, and in our community, Easter became one of the major events of the year in this rural country crossroads. That happened to be the church that I was eventually born into and grew up in. He ends by saying, the women who arose early that morning, 2,000 years or so ago, couldn't have known God would raise their Lord from the dead though Jesus had alluded to it many times. When they saw the body missing, however, they were told by the angel that he was not there but risen. They didn't debate the matter, but they simply believed. And that's what we have to do too. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. So what does that mean for us in before and after and living a life well and dying well? That night, as we were about to wrap things up, we were good kids to the end. It was about finally 11 or 11.30, and I said as a good son should at that point to a 90-year-old mom who's sick and about to die, I said, Mom, we should leave and let you get some rest. And mom said what a good mom should say to the end. No, you kids should leave so you can get some rest. But rather than arguing about it, she suggested that we receive communion together. And so I scurried around to get some communion stuff. And, and I was a little bit fearful because, uh, you know, my mom is a Bible scholar and a Bible teacher. And she has very particular opinions about when communion should be done, how it should be done, and with what it should be done, including the amount of alcohol content and the color of the juice and how much yeast is or isn't in the bread. I knew all of this. I could write mom's book about proper communion. But I did go to the nurse's station and got a couple of packets of saltine crackers, and the yeast content isn't too much. And Anne and I went down to the hospital cafeteria, but it had closed, and we looked at the vending machines, and they didn't sell either wine or grape juice, but they, they did have some Gatorade that's called Fierce Grape, and it's the right color. And so I came to the room with saltine crackers and Gatorade, and I said, Mom, this is the best we can do. And she smiled, and she said, I think it will be fine. 
Isn't that amazing that in the face of death that we become a lot less religious and a lot less caring about a whole lot of things? And I took the crackers and I broke them up into little pieces and I put them on a napkin and I handed them to Anne and to my sisters and I took a tiny little piece and I took some of the fierce grape Gatorade and poured it in little Dixie cups and, and we prayed and this is my body and this is my blood. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me, Jesus said. I put the little cracker on my mom's tongue and a little sip of juice that she took. It was her last supper. And she knew that, and we suspected that. What a way to go home. Before and after. The great hope of Easter, the great story of resurrection is not just that we have a before story and an after story on this brief amount of time on earth, but that we have a before Christ story and an after story that gives us a great hope for the rest of everlasting life because that's what Jesus died and rose to save us to. On the back of your notes, I encourage you to take them for just a moment and look at it with me. There's a very simple prayer. We've noticed that in the Bible that most prayers are short, simple, and natural. And this brief four-sentence prayer that I've written is just that. I'm going to read it so you can hear it, and then I'm going to invite every person here in the room to read it out loud with me. When we gather here on weekends at Evergreen, and every weekend there are people who find themselves at that tipping point from before to after. And as Ray and Anita and as Corey and Mindy both described in their life, there was a time of feeling God's spirit tug their heart and saying, it's time for me to repent, to turn around and go God's way and receive his forgiveness. This is a prayer that you can use to express what you're feeling and choosing. I read it first. God, I receive your love, your forgiveness, and your power. Help me live a new everlasting life of joy and purpose. Help me follow you. I love you. Would you join me all together and read it out loud? God, I receive your love, your forgiveness, and your power. Help me live a new everlasting life of joy and purpose. Help me follow you. I love 